Culture eats strategy for lunch, and informed cultures drive decision and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. With us today is Eve McCall. Eve is an industry director with Microsoft, focusing on government operations and infrastructure with specialized focus on the connected traveler within the airport industry. She's a steering group member of the Airports Council International North American Business Information Technology Group, providing thought leadership and industry knowledge to working groups around the world. She also serves as the World Business Partner Chair of their Data Analytics Working Group. She has a broad view on technology and needs in the industry, having worked in healthcare, process management consulting, federal consulting with Microsoft, and more recently, in a nationwide role focused on state and local government services consulting. Welcome, Eve. Thank you. Yeah, that is a very tenured background with a lot of different things that you've done. How the heck did you land there? Thank you for having me. Um, my background is quite diverse, and I'm excited to share that with you. Um, I'm very proud to be uh, an industry director with Microsoft. And to your point, you know, my background is actually not a technical one. So what's really interesting for me, focusing on data and analytics within Microsoft, generally speaking, we are a very technical group. And one of the values that I bring to the business is the fact that I do have this business lens instead of a technical one so that we can really help our customers gain the value of their data through business intelligence. Yeah, you did not start off as a as you the the term, you know, hands-on keyboard, right? So how how did you start? What, you know, what brought you to the data space because it wasn't a straight path. No, no. I mean, um to date myself, my first job out of college I worked for Dictaphone, selling dict dictation equipment and information hotline systems on Capitol Hill. And again, I was not a technical person and through curiosity and listening I uncovered business needs to leverage this technology that really served an unfulfilled requirement on Capitol Hill. So specifically around radio actualities and press releases for radio stations to be able to call in and listen to the congressman for their radio show rather than having the press secretary hook up a tape recorder to a telephone and press play. So again, clearly... A long time ago, technology has evolved <laughs> significantly since then. But, you know, that sort of kickstarted my career working for an engineering-oriented or engineering mentality organization who built, tech, built, built products and said, please go find a, a need for this, um, rather than starting with the business need and solving for the problem. So I've always considered myself a solution seeker, um, and technology is an enabler to solving business problems. And that's a pretty broad brushstroke that I've applied across my career, starting first, like I mentioned, on Capitol Hill. From there, mm -hmm. um, I actually worked for a medical device industry product company. I um, worked for uh, an orthopedic manufacturer. And then ultimately, um, I had children and took time off from working full time. And then when I re-entered the workforce, I came into the IT realm, uh, working for a small SharePoint consultancy 
and then a business process consulting company. And then how, moved- how did you find that? Like you, so you, you take a break from, um, you know, one angle in industry and then come back to another. How did you make that decision? So there were personal um, connections to why I didn't want to go back into the healthcare field, uh, just yeah. based on some some you know personal activities that have happened, or you know. I, so I wanted really um, to leverage my skills in a new industry, and thankfully, having this consultative, solution-oriented mentality is broadly applicable. And I'm very grateful for my first employer after 12 years of being a stay-at-home mom. A shout out to I3 Solutions, a local Northern Virginia-based consulting company, for taking that chance on me and realizing that my curiosity and listening skills and consultative skills would translate. Um, And they were a a technology adoption partner of Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that really opened a, a whole new world for me. I didn't even know what SharePoint was when I started selling SharePoint consulting services. And so to learn what it was, I've studied the partner ecosystem to learn what it wasn't, right? So there's a massive partner ecosystem around SharePoint, other products that amplify or augment what SharePoint's capabilities are. And so from there, I moved to a company called K2, uh, mm-hmm. which is now acquired by Nintex, which is in that business process optimization realm. Uh, I was a customer success manager, so it was my job to help our customers really understand um, the value of the software. It's not just a single product, you know, a single use case. Again, really learning what those business outcomes were that our customers were striving to achieve and being able to apply these broad capabilities to a number of different solutions. Um, And then from there, I came to Microsoft and I started first as a seller on the federal side with our business applications platform and then moved to our state and local government organization, um, both as a services account executive and then also uh, a data and analytics and IoT field service uh, consulting specialist. And from there, again, you know, Microsoft's mission, which I fully believe is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. And the best way to do that is to understand what our customers are trying to achieve. And in order to do that, one really needs to be a student of our customer's business to really be able to enable those outcomes, right? Technology, as I said, is an enabler. Microsoft Mm -hmm. has the breadth of technology to solve really any problem, but it really requires us to listen and consult, uh, really study our customer, understand what problems they have, and then bring technology to bear to to enable those outcomes. Yeah, and that's been something that's interesting and fascinating about your particular journey is that you, you re-enter the workforce, you go somewhere, and even those couple of steps, you stay very close to what people need to do and why they need to do it. Um, and so moving from I3 to Nintex, um, K2 Nintex, and then over to finally Microsoft, and then you know furthering that closeness to the customer by focusing on industry. How, how did you end up picking, did it this neat culmination of an opportunity or did you intentionally seek something where you could stay, I want industry focus? How did you land on that? I think that my overarching mission or purpose mm-hmm. when I think of my career um, 
is generally speaking, I think big, I think outside the box. You know, I, I don't think uh, myopically, I really try to think holistically and around the, the broader ecosystem. My superpower is in my connection and networking skills. I really mm -hmm. enjoy putting different people or organizations together to further a common goal. And I think that the world needs community that way. And that's how we mm -hmm. solve big problems together. So again, much of industry um, overlaps. You know, I mentioned that I started in federal and now I work in state and local. Well, federal grant funding gets distributed to states and state and local. And yep. many organizations, even or especially large organizations, don't necessarily bridge all of those connections together. And I think that's how we run farther, faster together, right, is to, to really understand holistically the opportunities that we can bring to our customers. And to the name of your podcast, you know, it needs to be centered in data. So... Yeah, centered in data and centered in how we build the cultures to make things happen. Uh, on a related note to what you just said, I'm very happy to see that, like in recruiting and everything, like this idea of the unicorn, you know, we talk about the unicorn recruit, that that, that language has almost completely died because people have the broader kind of cons knowledge consensus has come to the realize like, oh, it's actually teams. You don't need... Like these perfect people actually aren't all that perfect. We all have our imperfections, but we can make something perfect if we learn how to work together. And it's the team aspect and how you get high-performing teams, not high-performing individuals. And so that's um, so kind of underlining your superpower there. Like how you make those connections is really important. I couldn't agree more. So, so in you, you step into a federal role. But that's not initially in data with Microsoft. So you, you were starting off on the biz app side. You know, how do you make that journey to being a, I guess we'll say data culture advocate? It's a great question. Um, you know, the biz apps world at Microsoft is pretty expansive. You know, we're mm -hmm. best known, I think, for our customer relationship management capabilities within Dynamics, um, mm -hmm. which is really a case management capability from a public sector perspective, when you think of one-to-many or many-to-many -many relational um, cases, you know, mm -hmm. our use cases tend to be around things like citizen services, right? You know, it's not necessarily around customer relationship management, but maybe it's citizen relationship management. And again, there is a common data model that resides in that, but then there's all this other disparate data that needs to be applied in order to really make sense of how best to serve our constituents or our citizens. So it's not really as far of a leap as, as it initially seems. Again, I like to say that Microsoft is like Home Depot. We're the whole store. We have every aisle of the <laughs> store. But the beauty and strength of Microsoft is the, the incredible things we can build together from a master contractor mentality. And one of mm -hmm. the other capabilities within the Dynamics Power Platform is around field service and connected field service, which starts to bring in more of the data from an IoT perspective and real-time awareness of uh, telemetry that can trigger an alert to do something. So that's kind of that interconnectivity of the technology within the BizApps platform that also then points back to more of a data-centric uh, 
capability. So that that was my journey from yeah. the biz apps side of the house to the data side of the house. But again, I've never written a line of code other than, you know, on a Commodore pet computer in my elementary school days, right? So I don't really count that, I don't think. 10, quote Eve, 20, go to yeah. 10, 31 <laughs> run. I think that's the extent of my coding. So, um, yeah. you know, the whole low code, no code platform, I actually haven't even designed applications in, in those tools, right? That we have tons of consultants, both internally to Microsoft, as well as through our vast partner ecosystem that are skilled in that. For me, uh, what I pride myself in is, again, understanding what the customer outcomes are, what the priorities are of the customer and how we make a strong impact, and then bringing those skilled partners and teammates to the table to help define the architecture and implement. So you sit in this very neat vantage point right where you you know working at microsoft working across a broad variety of customers and getting to see um, both what their pains are what they're experiencing and then potentially helping connect so what are some of those things that over the past couple of years the trends that you've noticed customers struggle with and then what have you seen some of them do about that great question i think that very often, Microsoft is well-connected within the IT organization of a customer. So mm -hmm. when we reach out to our customers and they hear Microsoft, they immediately point us to the CIO or the IT department. And mm -hmm. so back to my earlier comment of an engineering-driven organization, you know, we're very skilled at reference architecture and technology recommendations and our products from our different aisles of the store. But mm -hmm. ultimately, again, really understanding what the business requirements are and the business outcomes are what makes the difference. So some of the struggles that I've seen some customers do, and Microsoft internally to as our own customer have experienced some of these growing pains and come up with a solution. So, you know, many of our customers will start with the technology first, right? We want to establish a modern data state. What's the technology that we require? How mm -hmm. do we um, deploy different products um, to go from the ETL or ELT process, right? Understanding what data is out there that we need to acquire um, and then ingest it, process it, store it, analyze it, and and display it, right? Or Or use it. So that's a technical approach, but if it isn't grounded with a specific business stakeholder as well and a business outcome, then you can build it, but will they come? You may or may not have that same velocity of success. So what Microsoft has even done for our own, you know, proof point on modernizing our own data state was to identify um, in it, through our intelligence-driven organization kind of program who mm -hmm. is going to be our first business stakeholder? What business problem are we going to try to solve? And make sure that we have business aligned, not only, you know, not only technology, but we need a business stakeholder and a business problem that we're solving for that will create that pull through and that return on investment and generate that flywheel of enthusiasm because now you've got some success that the business can champion and then you've got greater organic trust. So 
Um, specifically, Microsoft has undergone a data strategy initiative that includes not just the technology, but more importantly, I might argue, the people and the processes. That there's a significant people change component when you're implementing a data culture, right? You, everyone talks about making data-driven decisions, but the, we cannot underscore the importance of the people element. You know, we've frequently been making decisions on intuition that data may mm -hmm. or may not really support because we don't have access to the data in the real time. Um, so we might end up looking back at our descriptive you know, analytics and questioning whether the data is even accurate because it doesn't fit our worldview of what we think actually happened. So there needs to be some people and process perspective of generating that trust in the underlying data in the first place in order to then promote the data culture. Yeah, I, I, there was something interesting in what you said there. It, we used to have a phrase um, on, my, on one of my whole groups. It's like, Field of Dreams was a movie, not a business strategy, right? <laughs> I love it's that. Just, yeah, just because you, you build it doesn't mean, like, as you said, it doesn't mean they will come. You know, one thing I've noticed about customers and, and well, it's really just everybody. It's like we say customers, but this happens in our personal lives too, right? We want all the information. We want as much information as possible, or some of us do, a lot of us do, to make decisions. And then when we don't, there's, we still might make decisions, but it might be out of fear versus confidence. And then there's a little bit of trying to retrofit the narrative. Right. Have, have you seen organizations tackling that better than, you know, others? There is such a volume of data that data is noise mm -hmm. if it's not directed. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm planning a trip right now with our family uh, to go to Japan uh, at the end of the summer. And there are 10 of us that are going. And there's <laughs> oh, a wow. lot of people involved, different personalities, different age ranges, different interests. And we need to cut to what's the priority and, mm -hmm. you know, how many consultants or, uh, you know, travel companies are we interviewing? You know, at some point there's too much data, right? Mm -hmm. And and you have to cut to what's the priority and what's the... Um, the data that's not noise, right? The data that you actually need to create actionable insights and, and remove the inertia and actually do something. So I think that, again, being able to really understand what data is required to make a decision and harnessing that means you also need to really understand the problem so you know what data sets you require. And I get, like you mentioned, this is a personal story. You know, we have dates, we have certain things we must, th that we all agree are priorities yeah. and how do we fit everything else in? There, there can be some individual decisions, you know, and then you need to think of it again, it's a people component, right? We cannot mm -hmm. underscore, I think, or, or eliminate the, the importance of, again, who is the stakeholder, who's the decision maker and, and what are their priorities and outcomes that are going to drive that, that next step, right? Because to your point about the field of dreams, you know, if you just get one hit off and no one scores a run, that's going to be a very long game and people are going to get bored, <laughs> right? So 
Well, and the other thing too is, as as you keep saying, is what's to the purpose, right? To the purpose, and and I think there's also another beautiful um, comment in what you meant about well, data can be noise because you can get lost in in trying to look at well, I have all this data, and I'm going to start looking at it and trying to figure out what I should do with it. But is that really how you should think about it, right? You know, I was I had a very telling conversation with a customer. I'm sure you can relate to. It's like back to to underscore your point on, do I know what I need to do and why I need to do it? Because there's certain things that are table stakes, but after that, there's a whole lot of uniqueness around your organization. And so in this one customer we were talking, they were so focused on some ops metrics and then fraud loss. And it's like, okay, we, then we got to towards the end of the discussion, I was waiting and waiting and waiting to see if they brought up a particular thing and they never did. And so I finally popped in and say, all right, so we've talked about this. We've talked about fraud laws. We've talked about the operations dollars. But do you realize your agency's mission is to protect and to serve? So we've talked, and, and where's the people element? So there's actually potential life-saving things, you know, that you can uncover here. And we haven't even mentioned anything that we're going to look at from the outcome. And it was a, one of those silence moments in the room. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Wow, this was actually, and it was it was a good silence because then they were like, "Wow, we could really talk about the impact to the legislature about what we're doing here." Um, and so they, the good thing is that everybody saw the opportunity, but it's like we don't have the data for that, right? We need to figure that out, right? So how how many moments have like have you had with your customers similar to that? I'm sure it's a bunch. Yeah, and I think. <clears throat> So, so to the earlier question of, you know, how to get started or how, how do we mm -hmm. solve for customers to make sure that they have a successful um, embarkation on their data culture journey, I think it's important to identify a business problem where you know that you have the data already available, right? Because mm -hmm. there could be business problems we want to solve and the data doesn't exist yet. And that's going to become an exercise in futility and stifling, yes. right? So you know, on the one hand, you need to make sure that there is data available that you can inquire of to create something that's insightful. And yep. then on the other hand, one of my favorite quotes from one of my CIO customers is, you know, the factor of so what, right? Which is mm -hmm. kind of what you also were just saying, right? So we can learn, we can inquire something of this data, but so what? What is it trying to tell us? Like, is there value mm -hmm. there? Because we can create all kinds of shiny dashboards and reports leveraging tools like Power BI. But so what? Like, mm -hmm. what, what are we actually doing with it? Like, what, what, why does anyone care? Right. So I think it's balancing those two um, halves of the data story that are the trick, especially for an initial engagement where a customer wants to embark on a data, modern data journey. Because there needs mm -hmm. to be some sort of quick win to cultivate that enthusiasm and success. You know, it's gone are the days of monolithic implementations that take multiple years. And then you finally hope at the end, you know, we're going to go live and flip the switch, right? We need to see iterative improvements or, or deliveries because the world expects more rapid, you know, response. I understand why so many people today are starting with the technology because we've been, 
I mean, you and I've been doing this long enough. We can see the absolute transformation from 30 years ago. We had to, I had to got to put in a requisition for the server, plan for the capacity. So you understood why these projects would take a while because I couldn't just spin up the capability to go solve an analytics problems within an hour. I'd have to go build the capital plan, procure this, procure all the crap, get the crap installed, and then we could start. And it right. was it was frustrating. Um, so it it makes sense why some people start, but we can't forget, you know, even not every time back then, but frequently people would start with a business case. Why should I buy this stuff? Why should I do? Because it's going to be that long journey before the return has happened. And so, you know, your your story so far has been we we can't forget that. We need to go back to, well, why? So what? What are you going to do with this, right? And let, let's get back to, or let, let's realize those questions never should have stopped. Beautifully stated. So Eve, so what are you working on today? What are, what are, where are you now in your data journey? One of the most exciting opportunities that I have in my career now, as you mentioned in my intro, is I was recently elected to the Airports Council International North America Steering Group. And as an adjunct of that, they have a data analytics working group that I am the world business co-lead, and I'm working with two airport business intelligence um, data analytics experts as my colleagues on this monthly working group that we have. So um, that's really interesting and exciting for me. And I'm sitting more in your chair in those <laughs> conversations because, again, I'm not the expert, but you know, it's just super interesting for me to hear the tale of these different airports and on their own data analytics journeys. And one of the curious things for me is where these roles sit in the organization. And I don't think this is exclusive to airports, but sometimes the business intelligence office or data analytics office lives in IT. And other times it doesn't, and it lives at the chief operating officer or the chief financial officer uh, organization, which is just really interesting to me to see how different organizations rationalize um, how, how to get started, right? And I do love when I hear that these resources are living outside of IT because I think we frequently forget that we are calling it business intelligence, right? So yep. if we're going to call it business intelligence, there needs to be a connection to the business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that whole story arc is going to be a separate fun conversation with all your work on the connected traveler. I think there's a whole bit, well, no, not I think, there is going to be a whole bit that we will dive into on the connected traveler and all your work in transportation. Um, but so... But back to that first comment around, you see different ways that people structure the analytics capability. So in, in this final couple of minutes, do you, is there something you would provide? Like, what have you seen in the differences in the outcomes when this analytics function sits here, you know, on the CFO or COO versus in IT? So I don't think there's one singular right answer of where that role lives. And I don't see a difference in the success of our customers so long as there is that connective tissue between 
IT in the business, right? So, you know, I know there are a lot of organizations that have business relationship managers, as an example, um, as a type of role or as a business mm -hmm. analyst type role to connect to the business priorities. I've also seen a breadth of um, organizations, again, based on their own data journey. You know, most organizations today may still really live in the descriptive analytics world. You know, we're looking at um, what happened, right? Trying to get greater sense using things like Power BI or Tableau, mm -hmm. other products to to just, or Excel even, right? To have visuals of what happened. But then in order to move across that data maturity model to diagnostic, you know, why did it happen? And then getting to predictive, what do we think is going to happen? And ultimately, prescriptive, how do we make something happen, requires different levels of capability and honestly, more people with yeah. different skills, to your point about teamwork, um, as part of the organization. So either internally or um, outsourced through various partner channels. So it's been interesting. You know, there's, I, I guess I really can't ignore the the massive buzz topic for Microsoft today <laughs> uh, with Azure AI and, mm -hmm. you know, ChatGPT and our other open AI capabilities. But in order to get to augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence and machine learning, there still needs to be a foundational data estate capability that, that these AI um, capabilities are going to build upon, right? So you can't start with machine learning if you don't have the data to inquire. So there is, there is some foundational work to be done. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it was something so prevalent that what we, uh, my, my uh, co-host and I, when we were working together at a prior company, uh, we started to build into our offerings and say, okay, we need to do a feasibility step. Like, I get absolutely understand why you want to do these new predictive and prescriptive things. But if you don't have the data to support it, and one of the eye-opening ones is customer came to us with what should have been a very simple manufacturing scenario, predict quality of outgoing ceramic parts based on like kiln temperatures and, um, and, and that, pro and that step in the process, but the, it was manually typed in data. Somebody might type in 5k, somebody might type in and they were meant centigrade. And then somebody else was using, you know, Fahrenheit. And it was, I'm like, we have a cleanup problem here. Y'all we have, that's what we have to do first. But in your answer on, um, I, I wanted to ask that because I think it's really important for people to hear when going back to your answer around, you know, structures, right? So you're, the key takeaway is you're saying it's not about the structure, but how people use roles and the structures, right? So i.e. culture. How, exactly. How is your, com how is right. your company set up to use those roles? So it, I think that, that, and I think that's a good thing for people to hear. It's like, it, it's not necessarily where I put people. I mean, that does matter to a degree, but it's not, it's not, that is not going to be the primary determinant of how you end up being successful or not. It's in how fact, you end up using the people. Agreed. And in fact, I mean, you mentioned your mention of data quality triggered a whole nother <laughs> category that we won't delve into today, other than to say, you know, data governance is a, 
critical component of building a data culture because, again, there needs to be that confidence and trust in the data in the first place. And the way to build that trust and confidence is to have a data steering group. And again, it's a mm-hmm. group, right? So that needs to include members of an, across the organization so that there is that confidence when we talk about where is our data coming from or do we need to look at the data cleanup? Um, what is going to be the source data? Those sorts of conversations where they can be validated across a team you know, with the appropriate stakeholders so other interested parties have the confidence that their interests are being represented. So again, continues to go back to the connectivity of people, um, you know, that the trust of building that consortium across a group. Yeah. And it, even that group that you mentioned, it's still very important for them to remember your earlier comments. It's like, well, we need to know why and what data needs to be used, but also but very importantly, why? Because you're going to always end up with a long laundry list of things that need to be managed and decisions. And so as you well have seen, customers get bogged down. It's like, well, I need to, I need to classify all my data before I can use it. Do you? Like you're going to spend probably three years classifying all your data. And then meanwhile, you haven't gotten any closer to making better decisions. So what's the priority here? So, yeah, so I think you're, you know, it's when you, yes, your, your, your steering groups and concept you mentioned is absolutely critical, but they, that steering group can't forget your other comment. Like I have to know the outcome and I have to know what needs to happen and what order it needs to happen. Well, Eve, I've got a couple questions, rapid fire questions here okay. for you. Well, actually, I don't want to say rapid fire questions. You're allowed to have I'm a New Yorker. I can talk really fast. It's okay. <laughs> so what has fundamentally changed about your, you know, your work or these observations in the field from when you started till now? I think there's a much greater interest in data and mm-hmm. analytics today than there was even five years ago. Um, I don't know that I can identify exactly why, other than the whole concept of stating data-driven decisions and having, you know, business intelligence and analytics. Maybe it seems more accessible to people now. You know, the technology has evolved continually. Um, Agile development has improved. So people are starting to recognize the, the power and the capability that this is not fluff. It's, it's, it's actual and it's something that we can achieve for any organization. Awesome. Now, the other one, what do you, what do you see for the next five years? You know, what, what are you, is there anything in particular that you're, you know, hopeful or highly skeptical about? So as I alluded to earlier, the, the hot topic in AI is Azure OpenAI and ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is going to be explosive growth from a technology uh, adoption perspective. And mm-hmm. with that also comes, um, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And Microsoft is very committed to responsible use of AI. Um, and I think that is definitely a topic that will continue to evolve and make sure that we're using technology for good and that organizations think critically about how. AI is used and also 
AI is imperfect. AI does lacks the human element, right? So back to the whole point of data culture and people, you know, mm -hmm. AI is not going to show emotion. AI is not going to have that human element. And I feel very strongly that AI should stand for augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence, that we need to keep humans in the center and ensure that it's human assisted rather than uh, replacing. Absolutely. Eve, it's been great having you today. I appreciate you making the time for the conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host, Lee Harper, on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.